Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. Actually, it's interesting. My next guest has written a book that she began in the pre-internet era, as, and as it was uh, sort of appropriate because it was about somebody in the pre-internet era, and she's finished it in the, uh, uh, the, uh, the current internet era, not the post-internet era. But I wonder what the post-internet era would look like. That's when the internet is in our brains, right? right Implant, sort of, implanted you know, we, at we birth. Hold, we hold, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, my next guest has written a book called Woman Lawyer, The Trials of Clara Foltz. And you, of course, know who she is. You know? No. No? Clara who, right? Right. Clara Foltz who? She was the first woman lawyer in California. Ah. She got the law changed. She was a very effective uh, lobbyist and, and speaker. So that the law at the time said that uh, you could only be a lawyer if you were a white male citizen. Ooh. Sound, yeah, hard, restrictive, but there it yeah. was. Anyway, uh, she needed to make a living, single mom, for uh, her and her five children. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's an extraordinary story. And in the course of the story, you learn a great deal about American uh, history and uh, all told to the point of view of her experiences in the law. And it's not as if um, the author Barbara Babcock has had an uninteresting life. Mm-hmm. She is the uh, Judge John Crown Professor of Law Emerita, which takes up two business cards in width. <laughs> uh, she was also the first female member of the Stanford Law Faculty, a first director of the Public Defender Service of the District of Columbia. Uh, she's a teacher who's won a number of awards for excellence in teaching, and upon her graduation from law school, she clerked for Judge Henry Edgerton of the U.S. Court of Appeals in uh, the D.C. Circuit and worked for the noted criminal defense lawyer, Edward Bennett Williams, ah. whose name you remember a lot from yes. the Washington Post. Anyway, please welcome Barbara Babcock to West Coast Law. <laughs> You do. Thanks for coming in. You must have had fun with this project. I had a lot of fun. It was like uh, living with a person in another age. Um, and the only thing that was bad is it took so long, and people come up to you and say, you know, how long have you been working on that? And, they, and I say, I do not recall. <laughs> Because they can't get you for perjury, see, if you, uh, if you say you don't remember. Um, but, uh, but I have been working on it for a long time, and you become an object of pity uh, to, your, uh, to your friends and, uh, and an object of scorn to your detractors. So it was, uh, well, it was just, very impressive that, that you had this extremely long list of Stanford Law students who were doing your research for you. That's the benefit of being on the faculty, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what they're for. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I had, uh, it, they were wonderful. You see the, the list. And I, I, you know, usually say too many to, and you know who you are kind of thing. But I, I didn't want to do that because um, uh, they, they all, they waited so long. And, uh, and because this was before the golden age of search engines, uh, you know, so they, uh, they were in the uh, dusty uh, archives of courthouses and historical societies and ruining their eyes on microfilm of old newspapers um, where a lot of this information comes from. There were 21 daily newspapers in San Francisco 
uh, in the late 19th century. And everybody, the millionaires, the working people, they all read at least one paper a day. And every paper had multiple editions. So, you know, when she was in court, she was in the papers all the time. But there, there are a lot of versions of the same story. Um, but it has to be, uh, a lot of the records were lost because of the earthquake. Uh, and uh, so, but there are still some archives uh, that have to be dug out. Um, so it was, a, it was a huge research project. Uh, when did you first come across Clara Foltz? Well, it was, um, I was coming back from Washington, D.C., where I was assistant attorney general in the Carter administration on leave from Stanford. And, uh, and I was looking for, and meanwhile, the kind of scholarship I like to do w went out of style while I was gone. And uh, they, they <laughs> so I was looking for a project, and I, uh, I read this article that was in the, um, let's see, it was in the Hastings Law Review about this woman, Clara Foltz, and it said that she invented the public defender. And even though there were all these things that I um, have done in my life, I, I, um, I, being a public defender was was the most interesting, the most salient, uh, the most meaningful to me. And I thought, a woman, public defender, she invented it. I'm going to find out about her. I'm going to make her a star. Uh, and, uh, and so that's, that's what I started. And everybody advised me against it, you know. Why did they advise you against it? Because uh, her papers are lost, yeah. so there's no the the well, public record mostly. It's all a public record. That's all. All I have some letters she wrote to other people that were in their papers, uh, but but the basic things that you would have for a lawyer: case files and appointment books and scrapbooks. She kept scrapbooks all her life. Um, that I, I I thought I would find them because I have a, a lawyer's investigator skills, uh, but, um, but then I see they're hopelessly lost, um, so. But nevertheless, this is a very full story of not only a woman, her personal life, but also the times in which she lived and how she changed them. Yes, yes, no, it, it is, it was fascinating. You know, you only know the history of the state where you went to the fourth grade, I find. So, <laughs> uh, I, and I, I'm from Maryland, so I, I couldn't believe California history. Uh, that I got my fingers in. I do think that Clara Foltz was an amazing person. She was so present to history. Um, and so that, that I, sometimes I think nothing happened in the 19th century without her being there, uh, or having an opinion on it anyway. And um, so I, I just, I, I, I couldn't believe how intense uh, and wild California history was. Um, and um, I'm... Oh. I mean, there's just to give you a, a sample, one of her friends and supporters was a man who, at, at 30, was uh, Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court, but he resigned that job to fight a duel uh, with the U.S. Senator from California <laughs> uh, and killed him. Yeah. Uh, and then, then, he went to, um, uh, then he went to serve in the Confederate Army and comes back 10 years later, and the people of California who whose history is short, but they don't remember it, uh, you know. <laughs> they elect him to the California Constitutional Convention. Um, so that, and that's just one of the characters that populate this story. Um, well, Clara Fultz, she came from uh, somewhere in the Midwest and yes, then, and then made her way to Oregon with uh, following her husband who kept trying to desert her. Yes. <laughs> 
and having children to keep the marriage together. No, that's part of the story that is so amazing. She, she um, only had three years of formal schooling and uh, in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, where her father um, was, um, was the preacher in a, in a, in a very um, uh, basic evangelical kind of um, church, uh, which is now the Disciples of Christ. And she had a, she loved going to school and everything, but then, uh, then um, she uh, eloped at the age of 15 with a handsome Union soldier Jeremiah, and, um, and became a farm wife, having children every two years uh, and working on a farm in Iowa. And, um, it, and it just didn't seem as though this future that she had, this brilliant future, would ever be possible. But um, So there, she had a salon in Salem, Oregon. There in Salem, people would come to her, her house and somebody said to her, you would be a good lawyer, and gave her a set of law books. That's exactly what happened. And she did. She, she must have been. I think she was a brilliant woman. Um, and that, that's, that uh, was a relief to me, because sometimes I found like, felt like I was spending my life on some kind of nut, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but why, why a nut? <laughs> well, she, was, she had to um, push herself uh, quite a bit. So that she um, she became a public speaker, an advocate for the the suffragist movement, and so forth, and then had to sue law school to get in. That's right. They they she became a lawyer, got the statute changed. I love that you've read this book so carefully. Did you? It's an amazing story. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's what I do. I I've, I've, I've tried to make it, it. Well, it is interesting. I didn't have to make it, but I've I've told a lot of. Um, trial stories, because uh, she was a great trial lawyer, and she was also a great uh, orator. And, but, but it was really hard to make a living as a lawyer for a woman. Uh, and that, of course, uh, the, and the only people who would really risk coming to a woman at first were poor people accused of crime. Um, so then she gets this idea when she goes to court, wait, the, the government's paying to prosecute this person who's presumed innocent, it should be paying to defend him, uh, and maybe paying more uh, to to defend him, and uh, so that her self-interest uh, became involved with this idealistic idea, and she started promoting it uh, in the 1880s. The public defender. How did she make her way from from Oregon to San Jose? That's I'm not sure. I think I think that. Um, uh, I, I do think Jeremiah was trying to leave again and say he left, <laughs> he left her on an Oregon, um, he left her on an Iowa farm uh, with, uh, and she came after him. And that's when he went to Portland, Oregon. And, um, and she came after him with uh, three little children tugging at her skirts and a babe in arms. She arrives uh, in Oregon. Uh, and um, and then she was running this boarding house there, which she did turn into kind of a salon, um, where because the legislators would stay. She was in Salem at this point. Uh, and then I think he tried to move again and go to um, and, and go to San Jose, California. And she came with, uh, and they had a, a fifth child. Um, and then he left for good and moved back to Portland. 
But and after her sojourn in in California, where she made great changes and so forth, she uh, and found San Francisco kind of difficult to practice in. She moved to New York. What to like be a corporate lawyer or something? Yes, that was her idea. Uh, that that uh, she she first of all, every once in a while, she would have to stop her practice and and go on a lecture tour. Uh, that to make her overhead um, and and um, that but she was on one of these tours and she ran into um, she ran into uh, a, a, an old friend that she had known uh, at the Occidental Hotel in um, in San Francisco uh, who was passing herself off as Madame Bazette, the uh, uh, a French woman and. Um, this woman was actually uh, married to a very rich man in Colorado and was trying to get a divorce. And so Clara Foltz took over the case and, uh, and ended up getting a handsome fee um, and went to New York uh, flush and then saw that she, she really thought that she could move on a larger stage uh, and that New York being more sophisticated, they would be ready for her. Um, but they weren't. They were not ready for her. She had a harder time making a living. Um, but she did uh, write a public defender bill and get it introduced in Albany. Um, so she got but something. She, one of the qualities that people ascribed to her was that she had a phenomenal amount of energy. That's what, there's hardly a story, and there are lots and lots of um, interviews and, and index stories about her because there were very few women lawyers, and then she was such a character. She was always... You know, she was always good for a quote uh, on anything. Um, and they all comment on her phenomenal energy that, uh, so I don't think she got much sleep, you know. Uh, and uh, and she, she was, one of the things I admire both most about her is um, that she lived so much in the moment. You know, it wasn't, we're going to get the vote and then we'll change everything or, and everything will be good. It was, let's have fun now. You know, while we're getting the vote. Uh, and everything she did, she threw herself into it. You know? How did she manage raising the children and having this workload? Uh, well, she had her mother with her. Her mother was always moving with her, and she always says, my precious mother, um, I, uh, I couldn't have done it without her. Uh, and, and she would, would describe how her mother would take her baby away while she had office hours. And, um, and then, you know, her oldest daughter was 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 you know just about sixteen. I mean, she had her two years after she was married. So and so Trella, um, her uh, was always a big help to her also. But she always also said, "I don't believe it." She really she said they were they were the the best children. They were better children. They were never any trouble. They were all incredibly uh, healthy and um, and just wonderful. Kids, and she also said she loved to do housework and uh, <laughs> and, and wash dishes and clean and all and sew and all the rest of it. Uh, Did you believe all that? No, I don't believe that part. <laughs> there were, she uh, she later went to Europe. She was in a shipwreck of of some kind, crossing the English Channel. And saved everybody. And saved everybody. <laughs> Steven Spielberg should make a movie of this person. It is really true that she was on, on a uh, crossing the English Channel, and the ship was struck uh, and, and, uh, and sank. But uh, they loaded onto the other ship that, that hit them, and, uh, and they were saved. But there's Clara. They, they've been uh, in this 
shipwreck, uh, and um, she gets into an argument with the men lawyers on the boat about whether the ship is going to have to pay the, for damages <laughs> for all the things that were lost. And they said, no, it was an act of God. And she said uh, that it was carelessness and uh, that the captain was down eating a big lunch when, they, <laughs> when the, a sudden fog came up and they rammed into this other ship. And, but since this captain had just saved their lives, you see, people thought that they didn't like that. Uh, and so, but she did get paid. Um, there was a time when she antagonized a, a neighbor in San Jose because of a cow. Yeah. Well, that was one of the stories. She was always being asked, why did you become a lawyer? And, and uh, she said she was living next door to uh, a neighbor who kept a cow in the backyard, and the cow was in mud during the rainy season uh, that we used to have in the wintertime, uh, up, up to its knees in mud, and she thought it was unsanitary. And so she, this is before she's a lawyer, so she, but she learns about the law of negligence, uh, or a nuisance, and this is a nuisance, so she called the health department. And, uh, and then she saw the power of the law. And that Wait a minute, she called them up? This was before the phone, right? Oh, yeah, no, that's right, of course. <laughs> that, that, the phone actually comes in there around yeah. 1888, yeah. but uh, this, was, this was around 1877 or so. Um, no, she, she went to the health department, yeah. I imagine, or wrote to them, but they came and staked the cow out on the common, and the neighbor was unforgiving. So she learned that there's some things the law can't do. Yeah. What... Uh, she was kind of a clothes horse. She, she really enjoyed fashion. She looked good. She collected hats. She collected hats, and she, she always said uh, on the cover of the book she has on one of these wonderful hats, she made hats uh, at times. Uh, she, she made hats for a living, and so was a dressmaker uh, before she became a lawyer. Uh, and she, she um, I always say the only reform that she wasn't into, because she was into every possible 19th century reform that you can think of, was dress reform. And that was, uh, dress reform was a big part of the women's movement, but she didn't buy it. She was into high fashion, and when people were starting to wear bloomers, you know, she wore stiff polka dot bombazine. Uh, what is a bombazine? This is it. This is a picture of it. It's, it's On the a, cover. Well, hold it right up here to the radio there. Stiff fabric. Oh, yes. <laughs> It's, it's what, you give kind of a bustly effect or the big arms effect, the, the blue the, uh, No, the bombazine is, is the fabric. It was oh, the fabric. Which doesn't, um, it doesn't um, wrinkle, but it's very stiff. Uh, and, uh, and so that's, yeah. that's why it, it was popular for a while. Uh, in, in one part of, of, of the book here, you, um, you, you talk about her experience in New York and comparing it to San Francisco. Uh, it took a different shape, however, than in San Francisco in the rural California courts where she'd practiced. Their faults had contended with physical coarseness, men as opponents, jurors, and witnesses who were drunk and disorderly, abusive in body, potential for real violence enhanced by the widespread carrying of weapons simmered below. Uh, but in New York City, there was pervasive corruption and mendacity that you couldn't see. That's right. <laughs> the bribes, you couldn't tell if a judge was bribed or... Um, the uh, a juror was brought. A juror or the, the prosecutor was paid off by the complaining witness. Um, and it, 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 was, um, it was a kind of corruption that, there, that went so deep that there really wasn't any way in for, uh, for a woman 
This is, this is something she wrote. Innumerable innocent people, boys and girls and men and women, plead guilty because they are too dazed to understand their rights and legal position. Others, even though they have a good defense, plead and pay a fine because it's cheaper than counsel and they can better stand the disgrace than the money loss. That's, that, and see, that, that's her argument for a public defender, uh, that, that it is that a lot of the people that are charged actually are innocent. Um, and and uh, and even those that are not innocent uh, uh, factually are presumed innocent, and the law should treat them as it presumes them. Uh, and they they come and they just plead guilty to get out of it. Or she thought everybody should have the public defender if they wanted it. Uh, if you uh, even if you could pay your own lawyer, because uh, you, you would be bankrupted. But. Is there a, is there other, starting the public defender system is certainly profound in and of itself, but is there also some case or case law that, that she did uh, that also changed the course? Well, of course, I guess she got the legislator, uh, legislature to allow women to be uh, lawyers in California. What else, uh, you know, a, a, a major case of some kind? Uh, well, she had a lot of uh, big cases um, that, uh, but, but not uh, necessarily famous or money-making cases, but they're all the cases that uh, added to her arguments for the public defender. And, um, but, and, and then she, she was always lobbying for uh, uh, the improvement of the penal system generally. She, the first parole bill in California was uh, suggested by her, and she pioneered the movement for parole. Um, and um, and then she had a, a big pardon practice too because uh, the, there were no lawyers for appeals, so so trying to get a pardon was the uh, uh, from the governor was the way to do do it a kind of unofficial practice. But um, she she uh, also passed the uh, got bills lobbied through to uh, allow women to be notary publics which is a small thing to, today, but it was a big thing in the 19th century. That uh, was the only way to preserve sworn testimony uh, before trial. And um, so, uh, and women weren't, weren't allowed to hold that office or any other uh, offices. Uh, and also women, uh, she got a bill passed to make, um, allow women to be executors of estates. Um, and, and, uh, so really, there was bit by bit, she allowed women to become equal citizens, and and yet uh, she's largely unsung. That and I think it's the loss of the papers, but it's also the the their history of women in the legal profession uh, and women coming into the legal profession is is uh, really unwritten. You know, there. Why, why did you become a lawyer? Well, I, um, I started saying I was a lawyer because my dad was a lawyer, and he always came home and told these stories that made the lawyer into the real hero, you know, and he would start, he was an Arkansas storyteller, and he would start off by saying, a lady came into the office today, Barb, and then it would be off on this <laughs> story of, and the lawyer was a hero. The lawyer always solved the problem, and I just thought, so when I was about six or seven, I started saying I was going to be a lawyer, and it was um, it got a lot of attention, which uh, because it was very unusual for a little girl to say that then. Um, but but then there's been this this uh, there wasn't so much interest in women lawyers, and uh, uh, after women 
accomplished uh, by, by the turn of the century, the, the 20th century, women had gotten into the law, law in most states, um, were able to be lawyers, but there was a kind of dropping off of women being lawyers. When I was in law school, and I graduated in 1963, only 3% of the nation's law students were women, and now it's up near 50%. So it's been a real revolution, and with that revolution has come this interest in our history. You right. know, who were these early women, and, and, and the prejudice and discrimination that they faced was just uh, take your breath away. What you must have uh, experienced some along the way. Well, I, I, in some ways I did, but it, it, in many ways it, it worked out to my advantage, you, you know, because I, I, got in, I, had this, I got on the cusp of the women's movement, when, and what women do when they start a movement is come to law school. And so women just suddenly came to law school in overwhelming uh, numbers. It, from, it went from 3% to 20%, just overnight, and the law schools had no women professors, no subjects that really dealt with women. I never had a woman law professor. I never met a woman lawyer till my second summer in law school. And, um, it, and so all of a sudden, every law school in the country wants to hire one woman, <laughs> at least one, to see how they'll work out. So, so you, you were, what, the first one at the Stanford Law School? I was the first one at the Stanford Law School in 1972. So they decided to try it out on you. Yeah, uh, or uh, or to try me out. Try you know, you. I I wanted um, I was anxious to um, get more women as soon as I got there because it was um, it was a little lonely being the the only woman and the, my students used to say to me my women students how do you stand it in that faculty meeting with all those white men <laughs> yeah and uh, but that's I've been Some with people white might, men all my life. Yeah, <laughs> It's a it's a remarkable account, and it's and it's uh, and f considering that you couldn't get access to her personal papers, it's also a wonderfully personal story of this of this woman and what she achieved, and and a tribute to you and your researchers. Uh, the book is called Woman Lawyer: The Trials of Clara Fultz. Uh, there are now law centers named for her that Sandra Day O'Connor helped open up. That and, that, that the uh, the main criminal courts where O.J. was tried in uh, Los Angeles uh, are it's called the Clara Shortridge Fultz Courthouse, um, and uh, and they they had a San Francisco artist Susan Schwartzberg won a contest. You know, L.A. when they dedicate a building or do anything, they know how to do it. I mean, this was. Uh, the the biggest deal. They got Sandra Day O'Connor, and they uh, had a contest for an artist to decorate this courthouse. And it's a brutal, ugly old courthouse. <laughs> but now it has these beautiful tapestries and the pictures of Clara Foltz's life. And Susan Schwarzenberg had uh, tapestries made from the photographs. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. And uh, and and so and people come in, you know, and and uh, see this 19th century woman and pictures of her in, in, this, in this scene of, um, this rather sordid scene of a baseline criminal court. And I, I think there's something wonderful about that. Barbara Babcock, thank you for being on West Coast Live. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Woman Lawyer, The Trials of Clara Foltz, published by Stanford University Press. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live. 
right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.